0: Good morning again. Um, just been, this morning we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, 23 31, and really focusing on the power of communal prayer. Um, I think a lot of times, it based on our Christianity, our Western understanding of prayer, um, we do very well praying as individuals. Even when we come together, we sometimes maybe have a mindset of we pray together, but we're praying as individuals. The challenge for us is that, you know, in scripture, I think Dennis Edwards does a good job in his book about the Bible where he talks about how. Most of the time when you see even you in the New Testament, it's plural which then changes everything we're called to do, because we're called to do this not as individuals in our personal devotional time, but in these things together, life together, praying together, praising together. And, and I think what's fascinating about that, though, is this idea that, you know, how do we pray together? And I think that's what we learn in this specific passage in, in Acts chapter four. And but, but thinking about this idea of communally praying, of all of us as a body praying, not just for something or a purpose, but praying a certain way, I was reminded You know, about the two things we are celebrating this weekend. You know, uh, Pastor Carmen mentioned these. The first one is is Juneteenth. And I was reminded by the the myth of Juneteenth is that, you know, in Galveston, Texas, this little town that's kind of like an island but in the middle of nowhere, that after the Emancipation Proclamation, even after the end of the Civil War, uh, a lot of Southerners weren't in the business of actually setting people free. So it took two years to get to Galveston, Texas. And and part of the myth is that there's this general, Union General Granger, who shows up with a grand order number 3 and its grand order number 3 is that all people are free And it's two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. It's two months after Lee actually surrenders in Virginia at Appomattox, right? And and when I was reading and thinking about that communal prayer, I was reminded about the prayers that probably started from inland Africa to the shores of the Senegambia in West Africa that went across the cursed Middle Passage and across the seas and led it on our shores here in the American South. The the, the people who were sold in, in New York City and New Orleans and everywhere in between, the prayers of these collective people who were realized. Author Clint Smith, an historian who's, I think, one of the most brilliant people in the world today, has a New York Times bestseller, this new book called, How the Word Was Passed, talking about some of this story. But he has this quote from a 92-year-old saint um, by the name of, as soon as I get it here, Felix Haywood. And what's interesting is, I don't know if this quote is set on June 19, 1865, the day of Juneteenth, because if it is, that would make Felix, at the time, older than America. And even if it's years after, you still have someone who's kind of bridged the gap between America's founding and saying all people are created equal, but we don't really mean that, right, to actual being set free. And as he reflects on June 19th, 1865 and what it meant, this is what 92-year-old Felix Haywood says, the end of the war It came just like that, like you snap your fingers, hallelujah broke out, soldiers all of a sudden was everywhere, coming in bunches, crossing and walking and riding, everyone was a-singing, we was all walking on golden clouds, we was free. Just like that, we was free. That's the power of communal prayer. But I also thought about Father's Day, and I've actually been thinking about this this morning, even in between services, and I realized that for me, you know, I lost my dad when I was six years old. I was raised by a single mother. Father's Day was literally just another day in my house, right? Like, it was just like, oh, you go to church you have your three prayers, like family prayer meetings, and then you go to church for three to six hours, that was your day, right, it didn't really mean that much to me until I had children, right, and and so what I was thinking about just this weekend, uh, my my wife, in order to celebrate Father's Day, went away for the weekend, right, like she's like, happy Father's Day, deuces, I'm out, right, enjoy, right, Um, but it's okay, I'm not bitter, um, but yesterday, as part of the celebration, right? Uh, I took my, my, my girls out to brunch, right? And, and it's funny, because we're sitting there, we're eating, we're having a good time, and, and, and I get ready to pay the bill, because that's what you do after you eat in places. Um, and not to mention, my aunt kind of scared me growing up, because if you don't pay your bills, she told you you had to go in the back and wash dishes. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I believe. So I was like, hey, can I have my bill?" She goes, oh, no, no, your bills already been taken care of. And I did the whole thing of like, is there a church person hiding here? Because I don't see nobody I know. And she's like, no, no, there's a lady over there, and she just saw you with your girls, and she just wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day. And we were sitting there thinking, like, well, if I knew she was paying, <laughs> you know, like, most of you are like, oh, that's great. I'm like, no, if I knew she was paying, we would have had a little bit different of an order. But I went over and I did thank her. But, but what I was thinking about, though, is how fathering to us, and I think this has been the truth of the Christian faith, fathering has never been about the children that we birth. Fathering has been like looking like God, our Father. And how so many of us, yes, we were blessed to birth children or adopt children or mentor people, but for all of us, how are we pouring into the generation behind us? How are we pouring into the people around us? How are we looking like our Father, not just in likeness and person and DNA, but in love, in deed, and in truth? And I think that's the power of communal prayer because we're meant to not just father children, but to father and love like God, our father. So happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Our Father, and God, we thank you so much for the blessing of the prayers of a community, how it can be heard from inland Africa to the shores of West Africa, all the way to the shores of the the southern United States and up the eastern seaboard. We thank you that these prayers can be heard and they can be realized in, in a community of people separated not just by continents or states, not just by ideas or even understandings of you, but that desire to be free can be realized. And we thank you for the blessing of fathers in our lives who have looked like you. For some of us were blessed as the fathers who fathered us, but some of us were blessed as the people who invested in us, who poured into us, who grew us, who modeled what your love looks like. So God, we pray this morning that as we go back to the book of Acts, as we look at the church back then, that we're reminded that we too are to pray as one, that we too are to pray as a community, that we too are to love in a way that looks like our Father and in a way that brings true freedom. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. As we continue this morning through the book of Acts, you know, we're, we're kind of—the the basic thing is just this is Acts, the church then and now. And the question we're going to ask each week is, what do we learn from the church back then that helps us now? So our, our focus this morning is going to be, what does it mean, this idea of praying together? And what is the fruit that comes from praying together? If you have your Bible, I'll be in Acts chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 23 to 31. But as I read these verses, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. But as I read these verses, I want to challenge you to just keep this thought in our earhead. What does it mean that God hears our prayers together? What does it mean that God hears all of us together even right now? So Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. And again, I'll be going to 31. Verse 23 says, On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. One of the things that's interesting is that in Acts chapter 3 and 4, we have the setup to this passage. We talked about this last week. Peter and John are, are going to the temple, and on the way to the temple, they heal this lame man. And after they healed the lame man, the man's reaction was what? To praise and worship God. that To actually jump up and down and praise and worship God. And we learned from that that our reaction to seeing God move, our reaction to seeing God work is what? To praise and worship God. But what's interesting to me is that after the signs and wonders, Peter and John's reaction as leaders was, oh, this is an opportunity to what? Preach the gospel. So when God moves and does something to us, we are to praise and worship. But we are also supposed to have the mindset of, this is actually an opportunity to tell people who God is, to tell people what God has done, to tell people about the salvation of the Lord. So that's what they do, and they preach. And the people actually get a whole history lesson, and uh, the rest of Acts chapter 3 and going into chapter 4, they get a history lesson where Peter says, Listen. Our God has been working since the beginning. Our God has been working since we formed as a people. He has sent prophets. He has sent leaders. He has sent people to point you to this truth, that his son is coming, that his son is the Messiah. His son's the one who you rejected. His son is the one who you crucified. His son is the one who died and was resurrected. His son is the one through whom you get salvation. Healing comes in the name of Jesus. Salvation comes in the name of Jesus. And then they talked about the fruit that the fruit of the believing in the name of Jesus was this healed man in front of them, was this man who's now praising God, was this congregation of people who are praising God. And if you remember, there was about 120 after Jesus left, right? And then on the day of Pentecost, there's about 3,000 in town, but we believe that they actually went back home. This reminded to us that, yeah, we come to be filled up, but God sends us back into the world. But after this lame man is healed after he dances and praises, after Peter actually preaches in Jerusalem where they are, they now have 5,000 new members who come in to the church. So you see this bold testimony going out and people coming to believe. Our God shows up. Our God does signs and wonders. We praise and worship. We point people and tell the story of God. And I thought that when Peter and John, after they're released, after they're released from prison, after, you know, they've preached and the the, the religious leaders didn't like it and they actually imprisoned them, they come and they go back to their own people. And I love that because it's the beginning of this development that God has been trying to teach us since the very beginning, that our people are not simply those who are related to us by blood, that our people are those that God created. So everyone, but especially those who believed in the name of Jesus. So after they're, they're in prison, after they're before the Sanhedrin, they come back to their people and they come back to pray. And in that prayer, I think we can learn not just that it's important to pray together as a community, but we can learn how we can be praying as a community. So Peter and John are released. They testify, and in this testimony, they tell their story. There's a Nigerian writer by the name of Chimamanda Adichie. I think she's one of the the most brilliant authors we have right now, and I think one of the greatest storytellers in the world. And about 12 years ago, when she started coming more on the world scale, especially in the West, she had a TED Talk. That's what we do as millennials. We have TED Talks, right? But in this TED Talk, and I try to watch it once every three months, because she talks about the power of story. And she talks about how we all have a story, no matter what books we're reading, we all have a story, and it helps us understand this world. And she talks about how when she was seven years old, and, and this, this hit me hard this week because my daughter is seven years old, and she talks about how she was such a writer that she would write these stories that, you know, her mom was obligated to read, and I was just like, mm, that, filled, that hit home, you know? My daughter's like, here's art. I'm like, ooh, art, thank you, you know? Here's a storybook. Ooh, yes, let's read this story. But she talks about how when she was seven years old, she wrote stories about characters who were blonde hair and blue eyes. She wrote stories about characters who went and played in the snow. She wrote stories about about characters who would eat apples. And it's interesting, looking back, she says, because here's the thing. I am Nigerian, which means she looks more like me than anyone with blonde hair and blue eyes, right? It means that she doesn't even like snow, right? Most of us, when we come here, we're just like, oh, y'all really like this cold. Let's go back to the equator and sweat a little, you know? Like, people are like, heat wave. I'm like, ah, home. But she doesn't even know the concept of snow. In fact, she doesn't even eat apples. She eats mangoes. and I remember like, when I first came to this country, in my country, we call mangoes plums. So imagine my surprise when I went to the supermarket and they gave me this like, purple thing. What am I supposed to do with this, right? Like, they're like, this is a plum. I was like, no, it's not. That's a purple thing, right? I want a plum that looks like a mango. But I think the point she makes in the whole talk, and I invite you to listen to it because it's brilliant, is that not only do people have stories of how they order the world, where we need to give our voice and tell our stories, because that's how we can change them. Because everyone has a story of how they understand the world. And so she had to know that my story matters. She had to know that characters that look like me matters. She had to know that my experience matters. And I was thinking about the power of story this week, because here's the thing, we live in a country where everyone we meet and interact with has a story about Christians. And that story, we can call it unfair. We can call it too, you know, like like they don't really know us. Whose fault is that? We can say everything because it's painful to think about the stories that they tell about us. Because that story will say what? We're hypercritical. We're hyperjudgmental. We are not loving. We are not accepting. We are people who only care for me and mine. There's nothing like us that doesn't look like them. This is a story the world has about what it means to be a Christian. But just like Chimamanda, the storyteller, reminds us is, this is why it's important for you to tell your story. Because the world might believe that all Christians are hypocritical, but you get to love them. They might believe that every Christian doesn't care, but you get to show them what the love of God looks like. They might believe that, that every Christian is just only out for me and mine, but you get to say, let's partner together to build a better world. That's why it's important to tell your story. And whether you look like Chimamanda or me, whether you have an experience that, that, that comes from the west shores of Africa, lands in central Pennsylvania, or you've been in the same house your whole life, every single story matters. And if you get back to Acts 4, you'll remember that after everything had happened, Peter and John goes back to their people. And it's a reminder to us that not only does the world need our story, but all of us have people whether it's friends, families, coworkers, neighborhood people, all of us have people that we need to be going back to tell the story to. Our world has one story of what it means to be a Christian. Our God has billions of you and, and hundreds of you here at Harrisburg who get to change that narrative. The world may have one story, but God needs you empowered by the story to tell your own. And I love that at the end of this passage, the church, after they finish praying, it says the place shakes. The spirit fills up the room and fills up the people, and the gospel goes out to be preached. But in verses 24 to 30, I think there's four ways we see that this church prays as one. I think there's four ways that would help us as we think about what does it mean to pray, not just as individuals at HBIC, but as HBIC as a whole. And the first four, when the four ways are simply this, the first one is this. They prayed, remembering, and naming who God is. They start off by saying, Sovereign Lord, Maker of all. When we come to God together in prayer, when we go to God, it's important that we remember who God is. What does it mean that God is sovereign in your life? in our life in our community what does it mean that god is maker of all i think the best person who does this in scripture of just remembering who god is is jehoshaphat and if you know that story basically jehoshaphat comes before the lord with an attacking army outside his city gates about to wipe out all of his people he comes before the lord and he says god you're god you're in control But remember you said you will never leave us. You will always protect us. You will always be on our side. Remember that we wanted to kill these people, all of them. We wanted to wipe them out. But you said, no, grace, grace. But now these same people want to kill us. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and we're going to praise, and we're going to leave it to you. But you need to go and handle them. And I think when we pray together remembering who God is, remember who God has been to you. So for some of us, that might be a heavenly father who loves us. For some of us, that might be a rescuer. For some of us, that might be the one who has transformed us. For some of us, that the one who's taken our hearts of stone and made them hearts of flesh. Who has God been to you? And I love that when the church comes together, they remember that God is indeed sovereign and maker of all. And I love that they introduce us to this idea of praying, not for I, but for us. Not for me, but for we. Who has God been to you matters. But when we pray together, you also say, who has God been to us? The second way they pray is they recall what God has done. In the passage, they flash back to David and, and how David sung about the Messiah and the foes all around them. But they don't just recall the Messiah and the foes all around them. They recall the triumph of the Messiah. So it's important that as we pray, we know who God is, we call who God is, we're thankful for who God is, but it's also important that we recount what God has done. And in singing of the triumphs of Jesus the Messiah, it invites us that when we come together in prayer to sing the triumphs of what God has done in our lives. So we praise God, not only for who God is, but we praise God for what God has done. And then the last two for me are the most fun ones, because the next time they move along here, they pray in faith and trust that God is going to move and work right now. The enemies are all around you, but there's a one line in here that I missed for years that really struck out to me this week. You know, in verse 25, they start off with David and the nation's raging and all these people all around the Lord and his anointed one. And then they talk about their own story where they said Herod and and Pontius Pilate met together with Gentiles, people of Israel, all to conspire against Jesus. The enemies are all around us. But then in verse 28, they say this. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And that's significant because if our God is sovereign, and he is, if our God moves and works and he does, we also need to be reminded that everything that happens in this world God is still in control. This week I was on a a BIC prayer meeting. I think it's every Wednesday morning um, we we meet. And it's been really fascinating. I've been trying my best to make it all during COVID because you get a chance to pray with BIC and missionaries who maybe weren't BIC missionaries, but, but people with this missional mindset from all over the world. And it's really cool to be able to get emails like, oh, we're praying for this. And then you see the person that you're praying for. And one of the longtime BIC missionaries, a a great powerful woman of faith, Grace Holland, during her prayer had this one single line that jumped out at me. And she was praying about this idea about how, you know, the world may seem out of control, especially in this specific situation. But she reminded us in prayer that Satan is on a leash. And I love that. Because there's so many of us who know Satan is a roaring lion. But grace reminds us that God is still in control. And sometimes it's okay to say, God, reign him in. That God is just a little bit too hot right now. Give me some shade, please. That God, things just seem so broken right now. I need you to come through. But what I love about that simple prayer is she reminded us that enemies might be all around us. The world might seem out of control, but God is in control and God is powerful enough to pull that devil and hold them on the leash. And I love that because I don't even like dogs, but if I had dogs, they'd be on the leash too. But after she praised that, I felt emboldened because I was reminded that this God who's in control It's the God who, yes, he looks around, he sees everything that's happening, but his purposes go forth. And I was emboldened to go out. And I was thinking about how in this story, Peter and John are talking about enemies all around us. And I was reminded how some of us may have enemies, either from things we've done or things they've done. But I was reminded that the boldness that God calls us to is what? To love those enemies. That, that all of us might be in hard situations, maybe situations we can't even think about how to get through, but to remind ourselves that God is in control and that all-powerful, sovereign God who has worked in your life is working right now and you can ask him to pull it on a leash. And then the last one, is they pray for expectation. They pray for the future. Now, Lord, consider these threats, yes, but enable us to speak boldly your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We can pray together for a God who moves, for a God who heals, for a God who does signs and wonders in Jesus' name. But I also love after they prayed, they rest in God. I think this is important about our prayer. It's important that we name who God is. It's important that we talk about the triumphs of what God's done. It's important that we talk about what God is doing now, but it's also important that we say, God, in the future, we ask you to move, but we're going to rest until you're ready to move. And for some of us, that's the hard Because we know who God is. You know, he's shown up a bunch of times. We know what God's done. We can tell you our life story. We might even know what God is doing because we can tell you the exciting things are on the horizon. But are we resting and trusting God to move? You know, here at this church, we have a variety of ways we're trying to pray as a community. Before COVID, on Wednesday nights, we'd have a bunch of different classes, but in that room right there, we had a prayer room, and it was this team of dedicated prayer warriors who would pray for not just the church, but the global church. And and after COVID, we kind of transformed that a little bit, and now we meet on on Wednesday nights on Zoom at 7 p.m., and it's been amazing because there's people who've never missed a meeting, there's people who are there every week, but it really is, I, I think it's one of the things that sustained me during this whole COVID thing, because every week, we had a group from this church who are dedicated to come and pray together and i don't know how long we'll be doing it probably at least till july because then you know we take break august but i'd like to invite you to join us because i really think it's good and it's worth it it'll be amazing for you but that's one way we pray we also have a prayer chain, and it's simple, Prayer chain at harrisburgbic.org. If you have anything that's happening, you can tell your deacons or tell the pastor, but if there's anything you have going on, you can send it to that prayer chain, and there's a bunch of us in this church on that prayer chain who will take it, and we will pray for you for what you're going through. And we have church communications. We used to have these things called bulletins. I don't know if you remember those, um, but now we have this thing called Journeying Together, which comes out every Saturday, and we put all these different things that are happening. We can invite you to pray together. But I think, I think what I'm asking us this morning is to make this mental shift of not just being people in HBIC that pray, but being HBIC praying in oneness. That no matter what our prayers go up, that they're founded in these simple four truths. That we're praying together for who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. That we're triumphing for what God has done. That we're expecting God to move now. And that we're waiting to say, God, we rest in your hands because if we pray together this way as a family for our workplaces for our neighborhoods for our city for our state for our country our God will show up I'd like to invite our pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to close by singing a song, Do It Again, which may not be as familiar to some of you. But as we sing this song, I want you to focus in on the lyrics because they speak about the same themes we've been going through all this morning, about God's promises, about God's faithfulness, and about this idea of resting in God's hands. I'd also like to invite any pastors in the room up front. We'd love to pray for you if there's something in the service you want to respond to or if something that's going on in life that you need prayer for. We not only pray together in all these different ways, but we want to pray for you up front, yes, but pray with you this week no matter what's going on. But as we stand and sing, may we be reminded that when our God calls us to pray, it's to pray together as one. And praying together as one is telling the story of our God. Let's stand and sing together.